It is so good to see y'all this morning and um, just to see so many familiar faces, but also to see so many new faces. That's such a good thing. And every time I, every time I check in with Lyle or Jeff, they have really good things to say. It seems like um, me leaving was one of the best things that ever happened around here. <laughs> you, guys have been, you guys have been growing and both with numbers and in your faith, and I'm just so thankful for the report that I get from Jeff and Lyle every time we talk about this church. I know it's been a while since I've seen you. Don't take it personally. My mom didn't see me for nine months. Um, planting a church is just the craziest thing that I've ever done. I've got three phone calls this morning already. Um, just It's just constant, constant something to do. And I, I really have missed you guys. And I'm thankful to have a chance to be here this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, if you want to turn there, we'll read it, and then we'll, then we'll get to work. Galatians chapter 5, if you get there, say, got it, coat. Wow, y'all faster than me. Galatians chapter 5, if you get there, say, got it, coat. All right, let's, let's read this together. I'm going to start in verse 16, and we'll, we'll go from there. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, I did some consulting with a preteen ministry not too long ago, and they were just saying, hey, man, come and help us think about how can we minister to preteens? How can we think about preteen ministry? How can we implement programs and procedures and curriculum and all that stuff that can help us really knock it out of the park with our preteen ministry? And as soon as I walked in and sat down, the first question that they asked is, who are preteens? And my answer was, well, they don't know. And, you know, that's not just true of preteens. That's actually really true of a lot of us. Like this idea of identity, who we are, is one of the most important and confusing questions that human beings are asking at all times and in all 
places. Here in the United States, it used to be that if you wanted to find out who you are, you would just look at who your parents are, look at where you're from, look at the things that you can inherit or the things that you can earn, and there would be your identity. You would either inherit that or you would earn that through your work. And that would be the thing that we would cling to about who we are. If you were to walk up to somebody 20 years ago, a grown man, and say, you know, who are you? How can I know about you? The first thing that you would want to know is what? What do you do for a living? What's your job? Or who are your folks? Where are you from? Those kinds of things would give us a view about what our identity is. If you were to walk up to a 30-year-old right now and start asking those questions, the answer is they really don't care. Because now our identity has got caught up not in things we can inherit, not in things that we can earn, not in necessarily even where we're from, but what we can purchase, what we can act out, right, and what we can create. And so we've got these confusions about identity, and I kind of want to walk through it and help us see how this works. Um, Yesterday, I love preaching at First Baptist Church during basketball season, by the way. It's much better than preaching here during football season. Yesterday, the Wildcats got a big victory. Did y'all see it? Anybody see the game yesterday? It was awesome. I'm not going to brag about that very long, but there was a picture of our backup point guard, Tyler Eulis. And it started circulating in the middle of the game, this picture of him with blood running down his cheek. Did anybody see that? And somebody got a hold of it and photoshopped it. They doctored up the picture and made it so that the blood was blue. And I got to thinking about this. Like, why did, why did they do that? And, you know, people talk about bleeding blue. That's a thing. And, of course, that's why they did it. But why do we talk about bleeding blue? Why do we talk about that kind of thing? It's because we want to believe that these athletes or these people that we look up to or think highly of, really are all the way to the core exactly what we think about them. So it's like somebody just wanted to believe in their heart of hearts that Tyler Eulis really is in his soul of souls, in his heart of hearts, Kentucky, right? Like if you were to slice him open, his organs would have a UK branded on them. That's what people, people want to believe, like we want to believe that somebody really is what we think they are. Don't we just want to grab hold of that? And, and we want people to believe that we really are what we think we are. We want other people to see us the way that we want to be seen. We want them to understand us as we understand ourselves, to think about us the way that we think about ourselves. And so, you know, we do that by buying things, don't we? If we wear a particular jacket and have a particular haircut and a particular pair of shoes and drive a particular car, we can let everybody know that we're really excited about the outdoors, right? I didn't kind of went through that when I had my FJ Cruiser, the big yellow truck that could climb up a house. Y'all remember that thing? And I had that and I had all my backpacking gear and I could buy those things and you could look at that set of purchases and know, well, that guy's into the outdoors, right? Or think about the people like a skater kid. If you want to seem like a skater kid, you know exactly what brand of tennis shoes to buy, don't you? Whatever you want to, whatever you want to seem like, you can buy just the thing to make it work for you. And you can appear to be whoever you want to appear to be. The problem is a lot of times we forget that this isn't true. We forget that we're actually just buying these things. But it's not just, unfortunately, it's not just buying things. We can, do, we can act out a role if we want to have an identity, right? We can act out, we can do things. So, for example, yesterday, 
um, the girl from the Hunger Games, whatever her name is, Jennifer or something, right? Like she um, was at the Louisville game cheering with all her Louisville gear on or whatever. She's acting out this role as a Louisville fan. And if you want to seem to be a certain way, you do certain activities, you act a certain way at certain times, and, and that can be our identity. And, and now we can even create an identity. We can get online and we can tell people that we're someone we're not. We can make it seem like we're much cooler than we really are. We can take pictures at the right time so that it seems like we only eat at awesome restaurants and our food always looks like somebody brought it to life out of a magazine or our kids are always acting exactly how we want them to act. Or, you know, some of us just refuse to participate in any of that at all. And then we're still making an identity by doing it that way. Like we can refuse to buy nice clothes. And then our identity is, guess what? We're kind of stingy and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to participate in this consumeristic kind of deal. And so we all get kind of caught up in this whirlwind of identity. And it started at the very beginning. And God says this, look, you can't. Earn your identity. You can't inherit your identity. You can't purchase your identity. You cannot act out a new identity. And you cannot create an identity. He says, identity at all times and all places is given. Identity at all times and all places is given. Think about the very beginning in the garden. God created humans in his image. He gave them an identity as those who were created. And he gave them this image, the image of God. That's their identity. And that was the way that humans were made to be. That should have been the thing that set them apart. That should have been the thing that told them who they were. But it wasn't enough. They needed to They needed to act out this new identity that they preferred where they're the ones who decide which fruit to eat. They're the ones who decide how the garden works. They're the ones who decide what's right and wrong. So instead of accepting this gifted identity from God, they tried to make their own. Later, with the people of Israel, God gave them this identity as those who are chosen by God. He gave them his life-giving word. But over and over again, rather than keeping that word, rather than accepting this identity they sought out their own identity and lived in a way that pleased them rather than pleasing god and then in christ we're those who are forgiven by god he has forgiven us in christ through his life death and resurrection we're those who are forgiven and many of us still kind of participate in this craziness of trying to find our identity through what we can buy or achieve through what we can act out or inherit and and, or maybe through what we can earn all along god's saying to us listen your identity is given your identity is settled and here's here's where we get our identity as believers in jesus christ we receive our identity through the spirit of god we receive our identity through the spirit of god And the Spirit actually does the work of setting us apart as a people who are special because of our relationship to God, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives.
And I want to look at two things about the life of the Spirit, and then I want to look at the specifics of how that fleshes out in this passage. So the first thing is this. The life of the Spirit takes shape in the ordinary. The life of the Spirit takes shape in the ordinary. It's never accidental, but it's always supernatural. The life of the Spirit is never accidental, but it's always supernatural. Natural, And I want to think about this for a second. If you think about a car, this past week my car battery died, right? And so I popped the hood open and pulled up my mom's truck and put the jumper cables on there and did the whole jump the car thing, which I've done enough times that I've kind of figured it out now. And the first time it didn't work. Well, so then I looked at my battery a little closer. There was some corrosion on there, right? So I got some Coca-Cola and got all the corrosion off of the battery and then jumped it again. Still didn't work. And so this time I knew, okay, I need to get a new battery, right? And the life of the Spirit kind of works like this. Like sometimes we have to pop open the hood and we have to tinker a little bit to see the work of the Spirit take shape in our lives. So it's never accidental. It's not like we're going to go through life and then all of a sudden we're going to have this moment when God just zaps us with the power of the Holy Spirit and now all of a sudden we're living like Jesus. It's not as though we're going to be walking through life and God is just going to kind of do an alien abduction up into outer space and rewire our brains and then we can act like Christians all of a sudden. That's not the way the life of the Spirit works. It actually happens in everyday life. It happens because the person that we're hanging out with gets on our nerves. It happens because our spouse sees the real us 24-7. It happens because we get stuck in traffic. It happens because of the things that come into our lives that cause us pain and suffering. It happens because of the things that come into our lives that we can't control or negotiate on our own. The life of the Spirit takes shape in the ordinary. And many of us miss out on living by the Spirit because we think it's always going to look like magic or coincidence. It's always going to look like some romantic vision of God intervening in our lives in these crazy ways. When what God wants for you is for your heart to take on the shape of Jesus Christ a little bit more. Just because of Ordinary day-to-day life. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, that sometimes it has to happen by means of thinking. We have to think about how to live like Jesus. So let me give you an example. Um, When Emily and I first moved to Nashville, the people who lived next door to us in the apartment had the worst habit that anyone in the world can have, and that is listening to your music with a lot of bass thumping all the time. I just, it, it really is, I don't understand why anybody would want to do that, and the people who do it seem to be cooler than me, so I hesitate to say that, but at any rate, I really hate that loud, obnoxious music, and th- at nighttime, they would do it, and I love my sleep, and so I would lay there, and as the music is blaring, I would just get angrier and angrier and angrier, and in my mind, check this out, I would start even entertaining thoughts about the humanity of the person causing this ruckus it's like is this can you be human and cause this kind of noise like i I would just question their entire value as a human being and listen in order listen here's here's why i wanted to bring this up in order to repent of that in order for the holy spirit to change me i had to actually look deep into my heart 
to think, why am I having thoughts like that? What is it that's causing me in this moment to become so angry at my neighbor? Because I know Jesus says, if, you, if you're angry, that, that's like murder, right? So I take that seriously. I take the word of Jesus seriously, and I look into my heart. And I have to do this process that Scripture repeats over and over again. Confess, repent, believe. And all of us, whenever we recognize that we're in the wrong, there's going to be this enormous tension like, oh, no, I'm in the wrong. Oh, no, I don't think my neighbor's human because he's making too much noise. Uh, Oh, no. And then we start to confess. And the digger, the deeper we dig, the more we end up looking like a monster. And so we don't want to do it. We'd rather just we'd rather just defend ourselves, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we rather just say, oh, it's cool, everybody gets mad sometimes. Oh, it's cool, he really is making too much noise, of course I'm angry. Oh, it's cool, it's fine, I'm just human, all those kinds of things that we say. Instead of looking into our hearts and saying, right now, I value my sleep more than I value my neighbor's humanity. Right now, I think to myself, Jesus is not a good enough king And if I were king, I would make a better decision about what sort of noise my neighbor would make right now. Right now I'm thinking, Jesus, you shouldn't be sovereign. I should be sovereign. Jesus, right now you shouldn't be in control of the world. I should be in control of the world. And so when we look into our hearts, when we pop the hood and actually start to tinker with what's under there, we really start to get into this process God calls us into. Confess, repent believe and we agree with god about what's going on inside our hearts and that's how the holy spirit actually begins to take shape in our lives that's how the holy spirit makes us like jesus by confess repent believe and so if we'll enter into that process what we'll see is the life of the spirit becoming second nature to us the life of the spirit becoming really who we are the life of the spirit becoming the thing that if you cut us that's what'll bleed out Becoming our real identity. And so I want to look at each of these things, each of these things that Paul talks about here. Um, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. One at a time, very briefly, and see how both the power and the testimony of the Spirit are at work to create each of these identities in our lives. Um, So the first one, joy. Think about this for a second. Joy, we kind of tend to either not think about it enough or we overthink it. But joy, really, if you look at Scripture, it's the same thing as happiness. It's the same feeling. It's the same sort of state of being as happiness. The difference is what causes it. The difference is what's underneath of it. The difference is what's holding it together. And the world's happiness is about when things are going the way that we want them to go. So anytime everything seems to be exactly like we want it to be, we're happy, aren't we? That gets us filled with joy or happiness or merriment or whatever word you want to use for it. And so in Christian joy, in spirit-filled, spirit-derived, spirit-empowered joy, it means this. It means that things may not be exactly as I want but they are exactly as Jesus wants. That's the, that's the tagline, that's the testimony of the joyful heart. Things may not be exactly as I want, but they are exactly as Jesus wants. And that's the truth 
that's the thing that can hold our joy together. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit testifies in our heart, Jesus is good, Jesus is wise, Jesus is sovereign. And when we believe that, joy becomes a possibility. So that's joy. Look at, look at peace. Remember, peace isn't something that we have as much as it's something that we are. This is one where Christians get really confused. We think that we can't do anything unless we, quote, unquote, have a peace, right? Uh, somebody says, hey, would you mind volunteering for the homeless ministry downtown on Tuesday night? And, and then you say, I don't know. I don't have a peace about it. And I just step back and say, what? You don't have a what about it? You know, listen, Jesus didn't have a peace about going to the cross. Jesus sweated blood because of that. He was agonized over it. He had such anxiety, such fear, such concern that he literally sweated blood. And so we shouldn't allow our ability to become unnerved. We shouldn't allow the fact that we're tore up over something to dictate what we do. That's using the scripture to advance our own agenda, really. And, and, but here's the deal. We can have peace no matter what situation God puts us into. We can have peace no matter what sorts of circumstances come into our lives. Because we know that it is true that Jesus is good. Jesus is wise. Jesus is sovereign. So that means that we are the people who have peace. When we believe that, we can really, really have that sort of peace. So when we're anxious... We can look into our hearts and we can find out why. Is it because in this moment I question God's goodness? Is it because in this moment I question God's wisdom? Is it because in this moment I question God's power? And here's the, here's the phrase of the peaceful heart. Things may not turn out exactly like I want them to, but they will turn out exactly like Jesus wants them to things may not turn out exactly like i want them to but they will turn out exactly like jesus wants them to what about patience and here's the here's the catchphrase of the patient heart this is not how i want to spend my time but that's okay because this is how jesus wants me to spend my time this is not the person i want to be around right now but that's okay because this is the person that Jesus wants me to be around right now. We recognize Jesus is good, wise, and sovereign, and it makes us very patient. It causes us to be able to endure the company of people we would rather not be around. Um, that's what patience does for us. Um, it's not just the ability to keep on waiting no matter how long it takes. It's putting up with people who get on our nerves, who would rather not be around that's patience kindness it means that your words and deeds account for the value of others your words and deeds account for the value of others so the things that come out of your mouth about the people that you see on the news the people you see on the street the people you see in your home do, do your words and deeds seem to account for their value as the image of God, as the image of God. Um, one of the challenges that I give to kids sometimes when they're telling me about a problem that they have with a person, I'll just ask them, listen, can you see the image of God in that person? 
can you see the image of God in that person? And here's the thing about that. If you can't, here's what it means. It doesn't mean they need to change. It means you need to change. If you can't see the image of God in another person, it doesn't mean they need to change. It means that you need to change. And when we can really wrap our minds around that, when we can really confess it, when we can really just get in step with the Spirit on that, as Paul says, then we become people who are kind. We become people who are marked by kindness. The Holy Spirit makes us that way. Um, Faithfulness. It means you're characterized by an unwavering devotion to the gospel. It means you're characterized by an unwavering devotion to the gospel. In other words, no matter what doubts are thrown your way, no matter what difficulties are thrown your way, difficulties, the gospel remains true in your heart. So that you recognize even in those moments God is good, wise, and sovereign. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have moments when your mind's kind of tossed about and you're kind of freaking out trying to figure out how it's true, how it could be true, and you're not wondering about the latest scientific advancement that you heard about or the latest philosophy that's kind of floating around. It doesn't mean you're not going to have moments when you're really kind of struggling with that stuff, but it means that your heart holds on to the gospel even when your mind is tossed about and even when your life is tossed about. Unwavering devotion to the gospel. What about gentleness? Here's here's the utterance of the gentle heart. It's okay if my power is not on display as long as Jesus' power is on display. It's okay if my power is not on display as long as Jesus' power is on display. So whether it's your power to throw out a good joke at somebody else's expense, or whether it's your power to purchase a giant home somewhere, whether it's your power to do this, do that, get the job, get the raise, get the chick, all that stuff, you can make this confession. It's okay if my power is not on display as long as Jesus' power is on display. So we give other people the opportunity to exercise power even when ours is greater than theirs. We give other people the opportunity to exercise their humanity even when ours seems to be of a more elevated kind in that moment. It's okay if my power is not on display as long as Jesus' power is on display. And self-control. I may not get everything I want from me, but that's okay as long as I get everything Jesus wants for me. I may not get everything I want for me, but that's okay as long as I get everything Jesus wants for me. So these are just these are just tests that allow us to look at our life and say, okay, am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Is the Holy Spirit taking shape in my life more and more. And I want to encourage you this morning. Here's the deal. None of us is all the way there. Every single person in this room, to put it in the words of one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, this room is populated entirely by moral failures. This room is populated entirely by moral failures. There's not a person in this room who has merited the identity of a child of God. 
There's not a person in this room who has earned that identity. There's not a person in this room who can buy it, who can create it, who can act it out. None of us can do that. None of us has done that. And so there's grace there. There's grace to know that God has acted on our behalf to give us what we can't deserve. God has acted on our behalf to enable us to do what we cannot do. And I want you to know that living like this, living like Jesus, living the life of the Spirit is not difficult. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Living the life of the Spirit is not difficult. It's impossible. And that's the best news I could ever share with you. Because when we, when we recognize the life God calls us to as impossible, when we recognize it as the miracle that it is, that compels us to depend utterly on the power of God within. It, it just compels us to be those who rely on Him in all things, to become people of faith. To put it the way scripture puts it. And so I just want to ask you, number one, are you submitting more and more to what Jesus asks of you in the ordinary moments of life? Are you submitting more and more to what Jesus asks of you in the ordinary moments of life? That's a sign that you're going in grace. It's a sign that you're going in grace. Here's another one. Do you tend to use the excuse, well, that's just how I am. That's just how I am, or that's just my personality, or that's just how I'm wired up, or that's just me. Listen, do you tend to excuse sin by pointing to personality? That'll, that'll hold you back. That will short-circuit your spiritual growth. It will cause you to take a, an act of growth that could take weeks, and it can stretch it out over decades if that's the way you choose to live and think about your life. So do you tend to excuse sin by pointing to personality? It'll short-circuit your growth. It really will. Um, and here's the last one. Do you tend to defend yourself when you're caught in sin? Do you tend to defend yourself when you're caught in sin? Listen, there is nothing worse than being caught in sin, to know that you're in the wrong, to know that in this moment you're the one who has gone against what God asks of his people. And that tension is going to be present in every single person who ever sins and finds out about it. Like, whether it's a thing where it's as simple as who put the dirty dish back in the cabinet, right? Or whether it's as complicated as the deeper issues that we face together in our lives. Like, any of those, there's that tension that arises in that moment. And I want you to know there are two different release valves that are available to you. You can do two things. You can hit the release valve that's defend yourself and deny it and get yourself off the hook, right? No big deal. I didn't do it. I'm not as bad as you. Um, I'm just like other people. I didn't do it. Any of that stuff we can really, okay. And we can, we can kind of let the tension off that way. Or we can run to Jesus and we can let the tension off by confessing, yes, Jesus, I am a monster who lies awake at night and wonders if the person next to me deserves to live because they're using their base. We can release attention by saying, yes, Jesus, I am a sinner and I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your Holy Spirit to change me, change my heart, Jesus. And that can release the tension. And what I'm going to tell you is if you always release attention by letting yourself off the hook, you're never going to grow. And if you will release attention by this process Jesus gives us of confess, repent, believe, you will not fail to grow. You will not fail to become like Jesus if you'll just... Keep in step with the Spirit. Confess, repent, believe. Make it your 
life. Make it second nature to you to run to Jesus in those moments rather than run into self-defense and self-justification and all that stuff that tends to tends to hold us back. And here's, here's what I want you to know this morning, that Jesus has already determined that the people of God will be those who represent him to the world. Like Jesus has already lived the life that we couldn't. Jesus has already died the death that takes away our sin. Jesus has already resurrected in power so that the Holy Spirit can come and indwell us with the full power of the God of the universe. That's already happened. And if you believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, and He is at all times declaring to you that God is good. He is at all times declaring to you that God loves you. He is at all times declaring to you that you're forgiven. He is at all times declaring to you that Jesus Christ is the King of the universe. And so you have, you have the power to live like Jesus. You have the power to be the people of God. You have the power to be the presence of God in the city of Goodlettsville. You have the power because of Jesus coming to earth to actually live in a way that declares the goodness of God, the wisdom of God, and the sovereignty of God before the watching world. And and I've seen that happen in this church. Like, I've seen the power of Jesus at work in this church. And so know this, Jesus is going to make you like himself. He is. And it's going to take a long time, and sometimes it's going to feel a lot like dying. Sometimes it's going to feel a whole lot like dying. That's because it is dying. Those who are in Christ have crucified their desires of the flesh in order to live by the Spirit. And so don't walk away from that. Don't run from it. But submit to this process. Confess, repent, believe, so that the Spirit of God can become the defining characteristic of your life and the life of this this church. Let's pray.